0: Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 235. I'm your host, Derek Moore. And with me back on the program is CEO of Zega Financial, Jay Pestruchelli. Jay, welcome back.
1: Thank you, Derek. Episode 235. Continue to... Hey, every time we do one, you, the number goes up. Is there a correlation there?
0: I, um, I think so. I think if you ran a regression with... Yeah, every time we do one... The episode number goes up. I think we're on to something there, Jay.
1: It's like a one, a beta of one. For those of you that want to know what beta, yeah, that's yeah, it's good. good stuff. I'm glad to be back.
0: Yeah, I figured you'd be out in Wyoming talking to our friend Jay Powell, but alas, you were in uh, in Florida. Uh, Mr. Powell had some things to say today, and the market first went down. Well, it went up, then it went down, then it went back up but the headline here is basically i don't think he said anything that was different than anything he's been saying before like oh inflation is still higher than we we'd like we're ready to act if need be you know we're we're not we're going to finish the job that was how he finished the the speech today up in jackson hole wyoming before he probably went horseback riding or whatever he did up there
1: look i think to me, when it, when the 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 clips of it that I saw because it was a busy trading day for us here today, San the clips of it that I the clips of it that I saw, their target is still two percent, right? I think we've heard some uh, analysts and other uh, gurus on the street talk about, well, maybe they're just going to accept a two and a half or a three. They still want two percent inflation, right? And I think everybody agrees that you know getting from three to two. Will be a lot harder from when we went from ten to five. So uh, I, you know, I was surprised with the market reaction today, uh, which was generally positive. Uh, I would say, right, we ended the we ended the day up. So that's you know that was a little disconnect from you know what I was hearing. And but you're right, his message has always been the same. He hasn't come off his talking points. I think he has to stick with those. It's one of the tools in his. You know, limited tool belt of either raising rates or talking about raising rates. Uh, so, yeah, I mean that's it. And I, I think the market had a little. Um, well, the stock market, the equity market, had a positive reaction. Bonds didn't seem to react too much. They did. Did they go up today a little bit after? Maybe
0: a little bit. I think the the front end. I mean, the two year is over two percent now. So, yeah. The back end went up. I mean, the back end's move was was more over the last two weeks. But what did move, Jay, was the implied Fed funds futures for the end of the year. Uh, I think intraday.
1: That's thing that I think the market heard, right? Which is, again, why I was surprised. Why don't you walk us through what the, the probabilities of the Fed fund futures look like?
0: Yeah, sure. And last week, I'll, I'll put a link in the, the show notes, of course, to last week's episode. I sort of went over, Jay, what these are and what they're not. I, I think sometimes they're misused. But we have the probability of the September meeting is 80.5% probability rates will stay just as they are, five and a quarter, five and a half. That's the current band. The news here, though, is that now the implied move in the Fed Funds Futures is saying, no, quarter point raise at the November meeting. Well, at least there's 46.7% chance of that. There's an 8.7% chance that there'll be a 50 basis point rise, which I think, I don't know if anyone was even had that on the radar. So Jay, the the TLDR on this is not expecting a raise in September, but Jay, another quarter point. We're going to do one more, Jay. That's new, I think.
1: Uh, that That is absolutely new. Everybody kind of thought it was done after the last one. Uh, as I'm looking at this data, Derek, there is a, like you said, 80% chance that nothing changes on September 20th there's a 20% chance that there is a change. Upward, mm-hmm. Right. So there's, it's not zero. I mean, that was, I don't know. So you're there saying zero. there's a chance. I mean, there's more than just that. We would call that. <laughs> there's a 20 Delta on that thing, actually. Yeah. That's what I, yeah, yeah. Look at me. I use beta and Delta in the first five minutes. I, I uh, hope we don't I'm going to find a, I'm going to find
0: a way it. to slip gamma in there at some point, but Jay, on these rates, I don't, you know, to me, Powell has not said anything inconsistent the last six meetings. He's asked six ways till Sunday, if, I, if that's even the right phrase. So are you going to lower rates? He's like, we're not lowering. Remember that meeting? He's like, we're not lowering we're rates. We're not lowering. Right. Today, he said, we're going to finish the job. And 2%, as you just pointed out. So like, he's pretty consistent. And I think it's, it's kind of like, he's probably up there saying, are you not listening to what I'm saying? Like, I haven't, why do you think we're going to two and a half or 3% target? Why do you think we're lowering an next meeting? Like, he said nothing like that. But somehow the market interprets the words that they want to hear, not what they, what he's been hearing himself. But I don't know, Jay, I feel like too. six months ago, if what happened today, well, actually, let's talk about like a, a year ago, the market sold off pretty hard after he gave a speech at, at Jackson Hole. And that was his whatever it takes statement, right? Today, the market winds up up. So I don't know. Maybe this isn't that big of a deal. I'm not sure if it is.
1: Well, I think, you know, look, we're knocking on the door of 6%. If we do get one more raise, right? I mean, we're talking about getting pretty close to that. And, you know, like that's, that's, you know, that's a number that I think at the beginning of the year, you and I even talked about, like, you know, at six. On the Fed funds, that's probably going to be pretty constrictive. Like it'll, it could, you know, do the job of choking the economy. But so far, the economy's digesting this. I think he feels like he's been given the leeway to continue to raise rates uh, because, you know, we, the soft landing looks possible at this point. So, yeah, I'm with you, Derek. I, I think the market is kind of reacting a little differently than it would have a few months ago. But, you know, touching six is, it feels like, um, but originally would have been considered like, you know, damaging, significantly damaging. But somehow the market was still up. The stock market was up today. So there you go.
0: What, you know, I didn't put a, a chart in there, Jay, but there's also the idea of what the real rate is, meaning adjusting for inflation, you know, interest rates, uh, the Fed funds rate minus the rate of inflation. Although I will say that's a little backward looking. So, you know, if you say, well, you know, inflation's 3.8% and Fed funds is five and a half, then back in the napkin says you're what, you know, 1.7-ish, right, uh, of a real rate of return. But I mean, yeah, I mean, if inflation is, let's say inflation stays the way it is, um, you have positive real rates now, which we didn't have for a lot of this this time. You know, after inflation, rates were below the rate of inflation. but I don't know. I mean, to me, it, when we think about what is not priced in, I don't think. Now, you and I have uh, we we're, we're talked about. I talked about this last week in depth, but we talked about the the episode before. I'll of course link to that. And it's the idea that higher for longer, but higher back end of the curve. Like, if we don't get a recession, why would the Fed lower? Why would why wouldn't tens and and twenties and thirties Go up and steepen against the front end of the curve, and I don't think anyone's had that in their forecast. Right now, everyone says inflation's coming down. I don't know. I mean, what do you think, Jay? Like, if if oil starts to creep up, all right, that's a thing. And maybe it's it's wages. Maybe wages is a thing that Powell's really concerned about. Um, I think he said something like that too, right?
1: I didn't I didn't hear him say anything like that. But obviously, it's something they're always concerned about with wages kind of continuing to creep up. So two two comments on that. So the first one, yeah, I'm going to do them backwards. So you talked about wages. Um, I have seen that uh, we're starting to see some relief in the amount of power that uh, uh, potential employees have when it comes to pricing, meaning how much they can ask. So uh, it looks like wages were kind of going up along with deflation. That seems to have slowed down. An article in The Wall Street Journal last week Uh, earlier in this week that basically said, hey, you know, uh, you don't have to pay up anymore. Like people are starting to look. Uh, I've heard stories about people, white uh, white collar, not blue collar, white collar workers, right? Professional services workers that are out there looking for jobs for two, three months and, uh, you know, putting their resumes out there and it's not getting picked up. And so we may start to see the higher end of the If there's a higher end of the curve, the employment curve, right, that uh, wages look like that's kind of peaked out a little bit uh, in the short term. So that's an interesting point. So I'm not, I haven't heard Powell say that, but I've seen, like I said, in the Wall Street Journal, that was an interesting article. The other thing that I heard this morning, which I thought was an interesting perspective was, you know, look, if Powell continues to be restrictive, he could arguably create a supply shortfall, right? Right. Um, because the cost to produce goods uh, ends up being too high, and the investment in, uh, you know making goods uh, in advance of potential consumers uh, buying them actually might cause another round of supply driven inflation. Have you heard this argument yet, Professor? Because I want you to comment on this one. I know it's out of left field for you, but have you thought about that, how we could actually have a supply, uh, problem again, which you and I both agree started this inflation cycle.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's really two ways to think about this. One is, uh, if your costs go up, it it would add to prices. That's the easy step to make. Yeah. I mean, I guess you probably want to keep your inventory low. Wouldn't you? If, if the the cost of carry, consumer
1: like, you know, drying up on their spending, which by the way, it's starting, it looks like the consumer spending is also starting to decline a little bit. If the consumer stops spending you as a manufacturer, you would, you'd manage your inventory down. And, uh, which means what you're, you know, then there could be the, the, the supply problem that, like I said, that started all this, that was the theory. And that's not normal, right? That is not the normal accepted, uh, kind of practice of, you know, rates and uh, inflation, that's kind of the wrong way. But you and I have talked about how current rates are actually pushing up, uh, you know, I'm not gonna say real estate costs, what do they call it? The, no, rents, the rents, the they, did. Right, rent, they did. Of course they did. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So like, actually, the higher rates are causing inflation in parts of, uh, of the economy, and definitely in the math of what calculates inflation. So yeah, I mean, I think that would be an interesting and uh, unforeseen consequence here uh, of continuing to raise rates when when not necessary. And then also add on to your point of why you said, why would they possibly lower? Those are reasons why they might want to lower to stop this kind of unexpected supply-driven uh, uh, inflation from getting a hold.
0: Yeah, no, that's fair enough. At the same time, I mean, the Atlanta Fed GDP now has Q3 5.75%. Now, a little, uh, let's sort of talk about this and break this down a little bit. We are halfway through Q3. And uh, so the way this works is they take a good majority, but not all, of the metrics that go into measuring GDP. And every time you get a report, they update their model. And so like literally two weeks in, you might have one piece of data and it's like, oh, you know, so this gets more and more accurate the the closer you get to the end of the quarter uh, and actually to the, to the release of the actual number because quarterly data is still streaming in, you know, we're July, August, September. Quarterly data is still streaming in second week of October. But 5.75% GDP is, that's kind of a big number. And you want to look at the trend. Uh, the trend right now is going higher for for Q3, and that's they can't see the chart, of course, their audience, but it's on the very far right of the the graph there. And then you break down and you say, well, what's going on here? Of that 5.75%, what's the big driver? Um, about 1.12% of that is inventories, so people you know restocking inventories, uh, goods and services. You know, maybe Powell is looking at stuff like this being like, how do you have 5.7% GDP growth when, uh, you know, how do you have inflation pressures subsiding when people are spending this much? But all of these are positive, whether it's non-residential investment, residential investment. Um, Net exports is interesting too. For years, our net exports were always negative. That's what you bring in minus what you uh, what you ship out minus what you bring in to the country, and we, but we're a net positive on on oil now, which has only been the last four or five years. Like that was always negative. So, Jay, this is this is just. I think it's you know if you're looking at this a five point seven. If we actually had five point seven percent growth in Q three, I don't even know what the market would do with that, Jay. <laughs> uh,
1: typically, that's uh, that's a pretty bullish sign. Right, to have that kind of growth. Like maybe just put it in perspective, in general, what's like the GDP for America? Like two percent?
0: On average, yeah. Of over long over the last ten years, it's probably two percent. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's rate of increase, right? Two percent increase per year. So, you know, that to, to potentially throw in a five there, um, yeah, that's uh yeah, that's interesting. Which you I, course I, is I think so you,
0: so you divide by four, but yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 But but my my point to you is uh, what I was going to say, and it's reinforcing your point is it's the trend that's most important here. Right. So um, we've been in a little bit of an uptrend on this data since uh, looks like June. So July and August, the data that's coming in, that comes in all the time, has been kind of uh, pushing this a little higher. Uh, Look, I think the GDP now has always been something that we watch. Uh, but uh, while well, the the magnitude of the number is usually you know up for uh, you know question when it comes to accuracy, the trend has always been pretty good. Like if it's trending up, the real number probably is trending up too. Right? No guarantees there, but that's generally what we've seen in the past. So GDP, if if that holds true, is trending up in the quarter that we're in. Yeah.
0: All right. Let me transition because I, I, you and I, I want to save the. Not the best for last. Everything's awesome we're talking about, but I want to talk about the zero date to expiration options. Jay, I don't think I mentioned the uh, the response rate though yet. You know, this government data, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, uh, Census Bureau, all these different agencies, they go out and they uh, calculate data, and a lot of this is based upon surveys. So, in employment, the non farm payrolls, you have the household survey. And that's where they call people at home. I don't know who gets those calls, but anyway, they're, they're calling people and saying, hey, do you currently have a job? Okay, you don't. Or you do, great. You don't. Okay, have you actually looked for work in the last X number of weeks, uh, if you haven't, then you're actually not considered employed or unemployed. You're just gone out of the survey. And then you have the establishment survey. The establishment survey is where they actually call businesses and when you look at the participation rate, so these surveys go out and what's the percent of people who are actually responding, it's down to, you know, 40, just under 43%. You look back in, you know, from 2013 to 2016, 2017, it was above 60%. So Jay, is this, that everything is so good at these businesses. They're like, I don't have time to answer these surveys or, Everything is so bad. Like I don't even have time to answer these surveys. I mean, I don't know what to make of this.
1: Well, I I don't know about yeah. Like I've never got this call. You've said you've never got this call. I'm not sure what it is. I I mean, look. It's does maybe they're doing a lot more calls, and the same number of people are answering. Like this. I I I know that uh, accuracy is better when you have a higher participation rate. But uh, I you know I don't know too much more data about this it's definitely on the decline but am i worried about it i don't know um i so where is this data used right when it comes to the jobs number right this is kind of where this this data is not
0: non-farm payroll you know your your payrolls and yeah
1: yeah so i mean that's a big number that comes out once a month and of course we want that to be accurate that's a market moving number and it's a number that uh, a lot of economists use to get a sense of what's going on uh, uh you know in business but I don't know I don't, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this one except that yeah it's it's going down uh that that may be interesting, but again, it's a percentage, so they could just be doing a lot more calls and getting the same number of responses I don't know do
0: you remember it was probably twenty twenty twelve twenty i I forget when it was actually, and what they found was there there were some workers who were you know supposed to be calling in the households. And I guess there was you know leave it leave it to being a government operation, some pressure to basically get numbers calls and and have some i I think they found out some people were just making it up. They were like, "Oh yeah, I called this many people this they're literally making up the numbers. I remember seeing a story about that, but uh another thing this is a random thing. We'll spend two seconds on this." This is really, imp- actually, I shouldn't, I should, under- I'm underselling this, Jay. This is really groundbreaking uh, information here. The percent of stock ticker symbols that begin with each letter of the alphabet and the Russell 3000. Jay, did you know that the letter A, 10.1% of the ticker symbols start with A, but only 0.2% of stocks start with the letter Y. I don't know what to tell you on this, but they have so it's every letter is this chart, and they have the it percentage. Feels like we're
1: really we're really hurting for news when this is what uh, researchers are doing. What's the percentage of stocks that begin with a uh, with an A? That's yeah, I'm not sure if that matters at all. What I'd like to know then is the performance of the tickers that begin with mm. A. That's more important. Where's that real information? Because When you've got the dartboard up and you're trying to pick stocks, you know, is it better to lean towards the top of the page or bottom? I don't know.
0: I don't know. Uh, Let's move on, though. I'll let somebody else do that work. Uh, I want to get to the, I think we'll spend some time on this. You and I in the past have, you know, there's a lot of people talking about zero day to expiration or zero DT, which is shorthand for days to expiration options and there's been a lot written about these are messing up the market they're causing volatility golden sachs had come out uh, i forget which of the days it was but there uh i don't have the original thing but from memory it was hey the sell off was caused because there were 100,000 contracts traded of the 4440 put and they were saying when people bought all those puts then what does the the other side have to do okay so if you buy a put, that gives me the right to sell it at any price. So, uh, Jay, if you were the market maker, you would have to sell stock to have a, a zero delta hedge against, against the put. All right. Well, this is an article uh, that came out. I think this is in Bloomberg. Bank of America disputes Goldman logic on zero day option threat to stocks. Uh, I'm going to read two things, Jay, and then I'm going to get your thoughts on this and we'll kind of go back and forth. They have an exhibit here, but it says, despite the 4440 put having nearly 100,000 total contracts traded, customers were actually net sellers, not buyers, of only minus 1,000 contracts, uh, roughly 100 times smaller than the total volume. Uh, They also go on to say, uh, where's my thing here? As the S and P sold off, market maker hedging needs for the 4440 put were likely small, in the direction of, of pushing markets up, not down. Exactly the opposite effect of what was claimed. Uh, Welty and I don't have the person's first name and his colleagues wrote in a note Tuesday. High frequency positioning data from the exchange suggests this is more of a good story than reality. All right, Jay. You and I have thoughts about this, so I'll let let you start.
1: Yeah, all right. The first point is zero DTE options have been around forever. There's always been a day of option expiration where the day you are in the option, that is the day they are going to expire, and those have always been the busiest days in the options market. Uh, we used to call that, we used to get all worked up over triple witching and quadruple witching, right? It's like, okay, it's going to be a lot of trading today in options and futures because there's, you know, this is the day of expiration. These um, now that there are uh, options expiring every day in particular tip- tickers like, you know, the SP 500 index and the ETFs and the NDX, uh, sorry, the Nasdaq 100 and the QQQs, all of those, a lot of those now have. Zero one day options every day they have option expirations and it looks like you know forty percent of the volume on a daily basis is in the zero DTE options but this is not a surprise to us because it's always been the busiest day now um, it just look what and why is that right maybe I, I do just a little bit about why investors like the zero DTA aspect, right? It's the day where uh, at the end of the day, you'll have the least amount of time decay. Probably all of the time decay is over on expiration day at the close. Uh, And so you can take a more directional uh, bet or you could earn the fastest acceleration of time decay or the fastest acceleration of earning premium in those scenarios. And so I, I have uh, always been uh, a believer that the current phenomenon and um, I'll say headlines at zero DT options are getting is nothing new, except it's good for the options market because it brings more volume, right? If market makers can't handle the volume on a, you know, a middle of the August, a day on the middle, in the middle of August, right? Because, oh, there's a, you know, 100,000 contracts traded in SPX that feels to me like it's their own problem. It should not be a problem at all. And if the market moves one day, suddenly it's probably because of just low volume in the market. So I was, uh, I was always in disagreement with uh, the Goldman Sachs uh, article that they put out last week. And I'm glad to see Bank of America uh, called them on that. So I'm happy to see that, uh, you know, someone's got a little, Rationale, or, or using a little rational thought when it comes to zero DTEs.
0: I think what, what Goldman Goldman's point, what they were trying to say is, there was a so the, I remember the day that it happened. I can't remember the exact date. There was a pretty sharp move. It was really late in the day, and you had you know people buying very cheap options that had a lower probability, a lower delta. But as the market comes down, those all of a sudden go from uh, I'm making this up, Jay, but let's say that they went from a dollar to 10 bucks or something like that, which means they're getting either close to the money or in the money. And the deltas start to rise on there. And so somebody, the market maker who's got those on the books and is and is hedged, all of a sudden has this, this delta that starts to come up there. Now, that's that's what their argument was. Bank of America, of course, is saying, well, there's buyers and sellers, and you know the volume doesn't necessarily have to be just buyers of puts. They could be sellers of puts too. So I think that's what Goldman was going to say. The other argument I think that was made by Goldman, and I, I wish I had the piece, Jay. I don't have it. Was they were they were trying to make the the inference that the market couldn't handle that level of short-term zero-date DTE options. It, it was too much. The vol it created too much volatility. It couldn't take it, and I sort of dispute that as well. The, the, the market's massive, and I don't know. I, I just I found it hard to believe that that this little number of contracts would have all of a sudden caused a major problem. And I don't know if you felt that way too. It just it didn't make sense to me.
1: No, nope, didn't make sense. Seemed like an excuse. I was. Yeah, you're right. So right, the market dropped pretty quickly. And I think it dropped like half a percent in a few minutes, right? And that was blamed on, uh, at least Goldman cited the zero DTE options for the cause of that. Uh, Yeah, I I disagreed. So and I still disagree. So I'm glad to see this. I do think that um, there's a lot of value and utility for zero to expiration options. I mean, that we, we like them, we trade them, you know, in some of our strategies, uh, whether you're going long or short. I mean, it, it's one of those things that um, it gives you a lot less, what are we going to say? You get a lot less impact from things like implied volatility. You got a lot less impact for things like interest rates. You know, like the shorter the time period, the option you're trading, you get You really can focus in on things like time decay or delta directional movement. So yeah, it allows people to be a little more um, direct and exact in the way that they're investing with options. Uh, So I, you know, overall, I think it's a good thing that we have these. It helps overall. I think it helps with liquidity. The infrastructure of the market should definitely be able to support this. I mean, we're only talking about what 400 million of net notional on this. uh, You know, the net selling of and that's seller, those puts. That's really not a lot of volume for our markets.
0: Don't you think too that you know a lot of times large institutions used to hedge with futures, and we know market makers also can hedge with futures as well. Don't you think this these are actually interesting vehicles uh, to use as opposed to futures? I mean, because you're right. You don't have the cost. There's really no cost to carry. You have not that much in time value that's left there's some there's some there's a volatility in in the options a volatility premium in there but this is kind of an interesting hedging vehicle um, that maybe otherwise they'd use futures which by the way if you sold futures uh to hedge or you know but the market makers would have to hedge anyway. So I, I don't know. To me, the, maybe this is a replacement. Like retail traders aren't pushing massive. The the people who are trading GameStop are not pushing the market around doing zero
1: DTE options, right? Agreed. Agreed. Definitely not. Yeah. So
0: let's let's just take a step back too. And, and you know, when we talk about uh, the effect of, of options, Jay, I'm going to play the, the the retail customer. You play the market maker. I oh, buy, yeah, sure. yeah, so I buy, let's say, um, one XYZ, XYZ, totally fictitious symbol, but we love it anyway. We love it. Uh, I buy one XYZ, let's say the stock's trading at 100. I, I haven't you know, looked at anything. I'm buying a, a 150 call option that expires in 30 days, and it's got a 10 delta. So I've just bought one call controlling 100 shares of stock. And it's got a 10 delta. All right, you market maker are selling me that call. What do you have to do to hedge?
1: Yeah, so now I've sold you that call. So I am short that call. So I have uh, a a bearish position on for selling you that call. And it has a 10 delta uh, on it. So what that means is in order for me to get neutral as the market maker, because I don't want to have market exposure uh, as a market maker. I need to get long, I need to get bullish some stock to offset that risk. And the amount of stock that I buy uh, is based on the amount that the uh, that the, the option is going to change. So at a 10 delta, uh, I would end up buying 10% of the number of shares. So if you bought one call, I would end up buying 10 shares. So now me as the market maker, I'm short this 150 call uh, and I'm long 10 shares of XYZ stock. So I went out and bought some stock. All
0: right, let's reverse it. I'm the customer and I I decide to to buy a 30 Delta put. I guess we can just talk about, now that we've sort of explained parameters, but let's just say I buy a put, it's got a 30 Delta. Um, What do you got to do then, Mr. Market Maker?
1: All right, so since I, I sold you the put, which means now I'm bullish, I have to get bearish, I would short 30 shares
0: easy enough. And let's say I sold that 30 delta put instead of buying it. Now what do you have to do?
1: Oh. Oh, oh, sorry. Yeah, so if you sold it, I, that means I am I'm the buyer of the put you sold it to me. I bought it. And so since that's a bearish position, I'm going to go buy 30 shares of XYZ.
0: See how easy that is? It's not it's not complicated, right? <laughs>
1: So, let, so let's so well, let's let's take it one step further because I think everybody always finds this a little interesting on the the dynamics there. So now let's say uh right let's use the 30 put example, right? You sold the put, the 30 delta put. Uh you're short, I'm long uh the put right and which means I know where you're going.
0: To, we want to yeah, let's say the stock goes down and it goes from 30 to 60. Yeah.
1: Oh, now the puts in the money. Gotcha. Yeah. So now we've gone, and so now what did I have to do along the way, right? So, uh oh. So now there's a greater chance now. So I have to increase my uh, my position, right? So you're short to put, I'm long stock. I went from owning 30 shares to now owning 60 shares, right? So my, I change my holding based on the delta of that option. And you in that scenario, um, uh, you know, like, hey, there's there's now you have a chance. Of actually, you're in the money on that put, right? You have a chance of getting assigned. I mean, you could always have it when you're short. You can you always have a chance, but it's now much more likely that you get assigned when that put went to sixty because now that put is in the money. Um, there is a point where I may do that to you. I may be the one to assign the stock because I want to stop, you know, hedging, right? I want to, you know, at one point uh, once I've got a hundred shares on my books uh, against your put. I may just decide to say I'm done. Let's 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 you know net out this position for me. That happens too.
0: I I do like going. I feel like no one really explains this, so I like going into the granular detail. I think people like that. Uh, the other thing I'll say is that we're using one example of me doing one action, you as the market maker doing another. But in reality, there's buyers and sellers all over the place. There are people doing spreads. Uh, I might be selling the put. Somebody else might have bought the put for you, and that's sort of helping you hedge as well. So there's there's any number of things that happen there, and there's what's in your existing book. So what are all the positions? Which ones are? So it it's kind of interesting. Um, yeah, I I think hopefully this helps.
1: Well, I, I think the yeah when I when I think about like what's the you know what's the the reader's digest version of this is that options market do have an impact on equity markets because of of uh, you know market makers getting neutral, right. So at the end of the day, as the day' is going on, if they find that there's a lopsided amount of trades uh, on one side, they will end up, you know getting net long or net short of stock. And so it's a way, that the tail can wag the dog of the, uh, of the equity markets for sure. And you, you know, you see this, um, sometimes it creates a little bit of a phenomenon we call, uh, where like you'll peg to a certain strike because there are a lot of options at a certain strike and the market makers have to, you know, continue to buy until that certain strike like that. There's, there's definitely ways that the options market can, uh, impact the equities market. It's not always a passive, uh, participant, meaning what happens in the options market is not isolated from what goes on in the, uh, um, you know, with the equity market. So they they definitely have some impact on each other.
0: I do remember, it was probably a year ago, it might be two years ago now, probably was, I feel like time, you know, since 2020, everything's sort of one year feels like 10 years, but uh, there were people on Reddit forums and Wall Street bets, I think was the one, where they're like, hey, I'm going to go out and buy a bunch of really like nickel options that are really far out of the money, and I'm going to force the market maker to, to buy shares. And this is going to cause the stock to go up. Uh, do you remember that, Jay, when that, that was a big deal for a while?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's part of the thing that drove some of the, the short squeeze in 2021 on those, uh, you know, the AMC and GameStop, sort of the a- so, yep, I do remember that conversation. I mean, I do think there are other things that went into that short squeeze. That's not exactly this, but yeah there, there's there's sometimes the feeling like, oh, let me buy a bunch of those. Look, the stock actually has to go up though, right? Remember if you're a, a, a you know you' buyer of these options, if you the market maker is only gonna do very, very small amounts of uh, of trading, right? They're not gonna you know when you're buying five delta, four delta, three delta options. You know, there's going to be very little impact when it comes to that. Probably just the normal volume of the stock is going to, you know, offset most of what's going on there in the first place. But, you know, people try to break the mechanics of the market. um, They kind of see that stuff coming. I think the market makers like uh, Jane Street and Citadel's of the world, they're pretty good at insulating themselves from that kind of risk.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. The the one thing, uh, before we get to some recommendations here, I guess the only thing when you have this many zero-day, you know, essentially you have an expiration every day, uh, especially in things like the NDX and the SPX, I guess the one thing is those would have higher gamma. So delta is for every one-point move in the underlying, how much will your options, or will your options price change? Gamma just says for every one-point Move in the underlying. How much will your your delta change? And on the final data expiration, uh, the delta can move quicker. Without getting without explaining really what gamma is, you know, and, and the interrelation there.
1: I think you're just looking for an excuse to bring gamma into the podcast.
0: Uh, maybe.
1: <laughs> I mean, you could have gone along the lines of you know the 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 Hulk uh, radiation is also gamma. Mm-hmm. Right? that one. If that's you right. Have to read it. Right. So the rate of change of the rate of change is what gamma is. It's the second derivative, right? And you're right. Gamma, you can get gamma squeezed on the day of expiration. That's right. That's true. Delta can move very, very quickly.
0: Yes. Yep. All right, Jay. Uh, I think we should go to recommendations. Uh, I, I would Well, actually, real quick, I have noticed that, you know, the the VIX, so the rate of change, let's say, on the VIX, has been a little wide of late. It's not like the VIX has gone crazy, but you know, we were down in the 15s and up in the 17s. Um it's just just an observation that I, I think we're sort of settling into this uh the VIX is deciding like wh- what is it where's it gonna go? Like what's gonna happen. But there's been some
1: yeah. And so that's interesting. I also think that the volatility of the VIX meaning the implied volatility of the options on the VIX is starting to come down too. I think I saw like an 83 on the VIX today and that's an, that's approaching a really interesting level for us. Like you and I've talked about in the past, what happens when VIX passes 80? I think that's anybody can do their own research on that, but yeah, it's interesting to see when volatility, when the, when the, so let's, let's think about why somebody would buy, because generally VIX option is buying calls, right? It's usually a protective, uh, contrarian uh, trade, so people are buying options on the VIX. They're willing to pay more uh, or less. So these days, it looks like they're willing to pay less for the potential volatility of the VIX. So it could be construed as a little bit of a, you know, uh, uh, as a little bit of a bullish indicator, right? When that volat- when the VIX comes down, it's not a, an index a lot of people are familiar with, but it measures the how expensive or speculative the options are in the VIX. So, and the VIX is volatility. So like, again, I, I just did a second derivative, didn't I? So like, that's almost like the uh, of, of volatility tra- trading. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> you could have worked it now. So yeah, like, look, the VIX we've talked about, we're probably in this uh, uh, regime of lower volatility, started to peak its head above, you know, in the 18 range. And I think today we're in the we're in the 15s. We, we did dropped below 14 at one point this week, didn't we? I think we did.
0: Yeah, we we changed about 15.68, I think, today. Um, I also, I don't know if you saw this, but the SIBO, I believe this was the SIBO reported this, the VIX options volume is on pace to exceed 2017 record. So
1: Interesting. Well, do you remember, what, what is most notable in your mind when you think of 2017 and the VIX? Anything I think
0: it did it was very low and it didn't move
1: it just didn't move it was like the lowest you know like uh, one of the lowest years of measured volatility on record it might be the lowest since the vix was out so that there would be um quite interesting if uh we continued down this trend and you had lower volatility but a lot of volume that would be uh that would be something i think but who knows like every year is its own it's is its own beast right so uh I guess we'll see how, how it all ends up.
0: Yeah, I didn't do enough. Maybe next time we'll talk about that a little more. All right, Jay. Uh, I mentioned on the show last week, I I started Breaking Bad and I'm, I'm undecided on it. I feel like it moves a little bit slow. I might have to finish it just to finish it. I don't know. I'm undecided on that. You've never started like Breaking 90, Bad, right? That's
1: a real commitment, Breaking Bad, right? That's like yeah. 90 plus episodes, I think i have tried to start it i think three times and i haven't got past episode three or four and i look i know there are avid avid lovers of breaking bad out there like when i tell people i'm having trouble like getting it going they're like what that's the greatest thing i've ever seen i've heard somebody compare it to in my mind some of the great shows like uh Sopranos and Game of Thrones and i just, I just don't see it, but look, I know obviously they made a lot of episodes, obviously people love it. And so I'm with you, Derek, I've had trouble, you know, failure to launch into the obsession with Breaking Bad. I'm, I gotcha. I'm not, I'm not pushing back. I agree. Sorry. I agree on that one.
0: All right. I'm going to give it some more time. I'll report back. Uh, But Jay show came back and a person came back in the show and this came out of nowhere. Like, I, I was telling you off air that my wife was like, Hey, did you know that Billions is coming back? I said, Really? It is? And of course, she said, uh, Axe, the main character who was not on the show the last couple of years, is coming back. And I said, Really? So it's back, Jay. And I've watched, uh, I guess, the first two episodes. What do you think so far?
1: Uh, listen, I'm a fan of Billions. It could do no wrong in my mind. I almost feel like it's required viewing if you're going to be in the markets. I think they do such a great job with that show. I won't give anything away on it, but yeah, I'm happy so far. They've it's, it's yeah. You've got a lot of, I think they're it's a the final season. So they're going to bring kind of everybody back in at some point. Uh, they've already started bringing back some old themes here. Uh, it's good. I enjoyed the first two for sure.
0: I'm with you. I feel like it sort of to go downhill and jump the shark last, I don't know, maybe year, two years. But so far so good. Um, I'm with you. I I always laugh though, you know, because they'll have some some real market stuff, and and I believe there are industry people who are friends of uh, the creators of the show or the producers, and they they consult. Uh, I always laugh though. They have uh, kind of an affable character as the compliance officer. And I don't <laughs> know if you remember, remember the episode, you know, he. he yeah. It's, it's pretty funny. Spiros but, is
1: the worst. They make Spiros yeah, he, the compliance are the absolute worst. You're right.
0: So they come in one day and he's got some really elaborate formula on the board and they showed it. So I hit, I hit pause and I was trying to figure out like, what the heck was it? I think we talked about it. I was like, I, I think he's trying to do value at risk, but I don't, I don't think it's anything. Do you remember that one?
1: I do. I do remember. And then at, at the end of the uh, of that episode, uh, they actually said your formula was wrong on that, right? He was keeping right. track of all kind of the trade by trade. It was it was actually a great episode where the systems had all kind of gone down and they were trying to track their position and what they were trading out of. Um, and actually, it was even like pre-market. And I remember WAGs on the phone yelling at somebody to take the trade, just yelling, take it, take it. I don't care what you do with it. Put it in your grandmother's IRA. Just take this trade. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yes, I think that was the same episode. Yes, and this <laughs> Spiros got the calculation wrong. Yes.
0: <laughs> all right. Yeah. No. I, I'm, I encourage people if you haven't watched it, it's what seven seasons now, so it's there's on Showtime.
1: Stuff like there, there's oh there's, yeah, I, there's great drama, right? There's there's good drama between all the characters, and it shows how if you haven't seen it, how the you know quote unquote hedge bad guy hedge fund. And the good guy, uh, U.S. Uh, just U.S. Attorney of the Southern Southern District Southern of New District York. of New York. Yeah, yeah. Like how how similar they are, even though they're on the opposite sides of uh, of, of the law. So very very well done. I, you, if you don't if you haven't watched Billions, you, you should definitely do it. If you're listening to this podcast, you obviously are interested in the market. You should watch Billions.
0: Yep. Couldn't agree more. All right. Two thumbs up. We agree on that one. I'll let everybody know on Breaking Bad. All right, Jay, that's it. I know you have to, uh, I think, I think we just got to call it. So we're recording this on a Friday. So I think we're good, Jay. We'll see everyone next week.